Hi, men. Pastor Mike here. Good to be with you today for our Harvest Men's Valor podcast. We've been tracking with Pastor Greg through the Gospel of John in this series titled The Seven Signs of Jesus. And today we're looking at the most magnificent and staggering of them all, the resurrection from the dead of Lazarus. You know, we would say that the three greatest days of our faith are a trilogy, the incarnation of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and of course, the resurrection of Christ. The birth of Christ was for the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. The whole Bible teaches about the resurrection, and Jesus did too. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have perished are still in their sins. But we are most pitiable or pathetic, but Christ is risen. Now, we all know that someday we're going to die sooner for some and later for others. The older you get, the younger old age sounds. To me, 70 isn't so old. In fact, it seems like a really good age. 85 or 90 maybe is old. But when you're 18, 70 seems old. 60 maybe does. Maybe even 50 for that matter. But the stats are in one out of one born will die. The oldest living person today is Maria Marrera. She's 116 years old. She has lived through two world wars and two global pandemics. Teddy Roosevelt was president when she was born, and she has survived 21 presidents. Her birth on March 4, 1907, was just a few years after the Wright brothers launched their first flight in the Kitty Hawk. Despite being 116 years old, Maria uses Twitter with a little help from her daughter to communicate with her followers. She says, I am old, very old, but I'm not an idiot. That's on her Twitter bio. Now, the oldest living man is 113 years old, Juan Vincent Perez Mora, and he lives in Venezuela. He was born on May 27th in 1909. Well, you know, women do live longer than us on average, guys. His secret to life is work hard, rest on the holidays, go to bed early, and love God and always carry him in your heart. Man, those are good words if you want to live to be 113 years old. But think about this. Every human born before Maria Marrera has died, and every man born before Juan Perez Mora has died. You know, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. It's not only ironic, but tragic that many haven't planned for that day. A recent issue of Esquire magazine had a cover photo of actor Robert Redford. He's still looking good. He was in the films like Jeremiah Johnson and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting. He looks older, a lot more wrinkles, but he talks about the death of his friend, actor Paul Newman. And when he was asked about death, he said, we're all heading to the same station. And then that very same issue, uh, Hugh Hefner, who was a publisher and an entertainment mogul, who has since passed away, was asked if he believed in the afterlife. And he said, no, this is what you get. Man, is that sad? I agree with Billy Graham, who said, it's strange that men will prepare for everything except death. 
We prepare for education. We prepare for business. We prepare for our careers. We prepare for marriage. We prepare for old age. We prepare for everything except the moment we are to die. And listen, we are all going to die someday. That's a given. But what does the Bible say? What does Jesus have to say about life after death? Let's look at this account in John 11 and then see how the resurrection can affect not only our death, but also our life. In John 11, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, him who you love is sick. And Jesus seemed to spend a lot of time with his family, and he was close with them. They lived in Bethany, which was about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. Bethany really wasn't what we would call a vacation city. In fact, Jerusalem is known as the city of peace. Bethlehem is known as the house of bread. And Bethany was known as the city of misery, kind of like a Roma land of the day, a desert town with not much of anything going on. What it did have was hurting people. It had become a location for invalids and those who were disabled, a home for the homeless and a home for the hopeless. And of course, that would be a good reason why Jesus liked it there. It seems like Mary and Lazarus and Martha may have been, uh, they may have had some means. Maybe they were the guardians of the small town. We're not sure. I picture Lazarus and Martha and Mary being those salt of the earth families. No pretense, solid citizens and friends and followers of Jesus Christ. So word came to Jesus, even urgently, that Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick. Verse 4, it says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then it says that Jesus stayed for two more days. And then he said, Let's go to Judea again. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? You know, just a few days before they had been in Jerusalem, and because Jesus had told the people there that he was the Son of God, uh, some had tried to stone him. So they had traveled back up towards Galilee, which was north of Jerusalem and north of the Bethany area, all in Judea. And uh, so they had gone back up toward Galilee. And they may have thought that Jesus wouldn't go back down to Judea, back to Bethany, because of the threat of being stoned there. So after two days, Jesus says, let's go. And um, maybe the disciples were just reminding him, Jesus, remember, they're throwing rocks down there. But it says that Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after he said that to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. You know, a Jewish day was broken into two halves, 12 hours for the day and 12 hours for the night. They worked in the day and they didn't work at night because it was dark. You know, now we have lights everywhere, you know, 24-7. But Jesus was saying, it's time to work. The time is now, not later. Let's go. I love this because so often we wait for the stars to align before we do anything and they never align so we do nothing. I'm all in for planning and preparing, but sometimes it's just time to step forward and take a step of faith, even if a few rocks may get thrown. But it's uncomfortable or even scary. Is God calling you to go with him somewhere? 
Is he leading you to make a move, to start loving someone, to forgive someone, to help someone? Maybe stop doing something that's taking you away from his perfect plan for your life. It's time to go with Jesus. It's go time. And uh, don't wait until it's dark or it's too late. You know, we're called to walk with Jesus. Where is he going? Where is he leading? He doesn't ask us to go alone. He wants us to go with him, to be a part of his work. It's amazing. Verse 12 says, Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go with him that we may die with him. You know, Thomas, we know him as doubting Thomas. You know, Thomas who said, I won't believe unless I can put my hand in his side. Thomas is kind of like me and you. Sometimes unbelieving and sometimes believing, right? Well, he's full on here. He's like, let's go. And Jesus was using this word sleep as a euphemism that they didn't quite get. Finally, Jesus just cut to the chase and said, Lazarus is dead. That probably blindsided the disciples. You know, just like it does us when someone we know dies. They knew Lazarus. Then Jesus gives one of the purposes for his delay, that they would believe, that they would believe. You know, Jesus did these seven signs we've been studying, you know, turning the water into wine, cleansing the temple, healing a sick son and a lame man and a blind man, then feeding the 5,000. And now he was going to do something that no one had ever done before so that they would believe, so that you and I would believe. In verse 17, it says, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. The two sisters were grieving, and it was a dark day. People in the town had come to bring comfort, which is really cool. You know, they were, they were hurting. They were all hurting. They were grieving. And, you know, grief is such a lonely place. We can rarely share in people's grief, but we can share in their comfort. And God is the God of all comfort. Second Corinthians tells us he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort others. We can be there. We can offer help. And I love Martha's faith. Whatever you ask, Lord, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And again, I love this because Martha was a student of scripture. The Old Testament teaches the resurrection. You know, atheists don't believe in the resurrection, and maybe that's you. Agnostics don't know, and some don't care. You should because it's your future. Most other faiths or beliefs don't really have an answer for the afterlife. There's an obscure or esoteric response, you know, spirits live on someplace, you know, or uh, 
no, you don't know. Maybe you're reincarnated and you come back as someone else or something else, which is kind of scary. You know, some like Robert Redford believe this is it. But even in the Old Testament, it talks about a resurrection of the dead. You know, David wrote in Psalms 116, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hands are pleasures forevermore. We all know about Job and the things that he went through. And Job said in Job 19.25, said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I love that. Martha didn't have a problem with the resurrection. She just didn't think Jesus was going to do something so incredible and amazing like resurrecting her brother. And she didn't realize that the victory over death was only possible through Jesus himself. Now Jesus shares the words that resonate and echo through all ages. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus looked into Martha's eyes and said, Do you believe this? And Martha nails it here. She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world. And to that we say, Yes, Martha. Have you come to this place of belief where you have had to answer this question in your own heart? You know, we are continually confronted with this question, Do you believe? Yes, when we first believed in Jesus, of course, we believed. But what about when someone you love has died? What about when someone, even yourself, is diagnosed with a terminal disease like cancer? Or maybe you're in the hospital and it's bleak and the doctors are saying, there isn't much more we can do. You know, when my dad passed away a few years ago, I had to remind myself that I believed And in some ways, as hard as then as even when our infant son, Dylan, died 36 years ago. But undergirding everything is the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Even when the days seem dark, culturally, economically, politically, when all hell is breaking out in our families or with our kids, we believe in the resurrection. We believe God is working. You know, we're all familiar with that song, Waymaker, even when I don't see he's working, you know? I love that song, but maybe you need to be reminded of this today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, life eternal and life abundant. You know, Jesus said in John 10 that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and that more abundantly. The enemy has our worst in mind, but God has our best in mind, and Jesus is greater. In verse 28, it says, When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, Mary rose quickly and came to him. And Jesus had not yet come to town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary rise up and go quickly, they went out and they followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. 
And when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is a tough situation here. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? It says that Jesus groaned. The word means like to groan, like, a, like the snort of a horse. In his spirit, he was saddened by death. You know, I don't believe Jesus was upset with them, as some commentators say. They were hurting, and Jesus hurt with them. He moaned. I think some of us can relate to that. You know, in Isaiah 53, it says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, Jesus isn't robotic and callous. No, he grieves with us. He is with us in our sorrows like nobody else can be. That's why we can come to him when our hearts are breaking. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. You know, there's two words for this word wept in the original language of the Greek. One is kleo, which means loud wailing. And the other is dokruo, which means to silently burst into tears. And this is the second word that is used here, dokruo. So Jesus, he just started, tears just started welling up in his eyes and dripping down his face. You know, some things are worth crying over. Sometimes we hear someone say about someone, I never saw him cry like it's a badge of honor. Some of the toughest guys I know have the most tender hearts. You know, some things are worth shedding a tear. You know, my dad had always been big, strong, without having to prove, you know, like I'm a big, strong guy, you know, playing football with biker gangs and wanting to play linemen, things like that. I was like, Dad, why don't you play receiver? You know, I hadn't seen him cry much, but I did see him cry over his dad dying and also a couple of family tragedies. But the Bible says that God holds our tears in a bottle. They mean something to him. I mean, don't cry like a baby. It's okay. Tougher guys than you have cried. But Jesus wept and there was no one tougher than Jesus. Maybe you don't have a heart of compassion, or maybe you're afraid you will never be able to turn it off if you start to cry. I don't know. But don't judge your manliness or toughness on whether you cry or don't cry. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Pastor Greg has said, it's a good thing he prefaced it with Lazarus, or all those who had died would have come out of the graves. 
And out comes Lazarus, all wrapped up in grave clothes, face wrapped and covered. is almost comical, like a mummy, like a scene from a scary movie. Lazarus went from being dead to being alive, which is amazing. And it tells us that many believed. Then it says in verse 45 that many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed. This is why Jesus did this miracle, so that we would believe. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. You know, some didn't do anything. Let me ask you, do you believe? You know, Jesus did the impossible. He raised a dead man. He overrode death with his words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Not only did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, he raised himself from the dead, just like he said he would. Remember in John chapter 2, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he said this about his own body. And then in John 10, 18, Jesus said, no one takes it away from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. What does the resurrection mean to us? Well, first, the resurrection proves that Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God. Romans 1.4 says, He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. Jesus did what no one else had ever done, proving his deity as the Son of God. He isn't anything less. He is God. Another thing is the resurrection assures us of a living hope. This is so cool. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope in life and death is rooted in Jesus' resurrection and his power to raise the dead. It trumps everything. The third thing is the resurrection secures our justification. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up because of our offenses and he was raised because of our justification. You know, when Jesus himself rose from the dead, he guaranteed that our sins were not only paid for, all of them, but they were forgiven, but also that we would receive his righteousness. Our sin was imputed to him and his righteousness was imputed to us. Justification means that not only were we not guilty, but that we were innocent and are innocent, just as if we'd never sinned. That's what justification is. His perfect life for our imperfect life. Man, the greatest trade of all time. I know there's a great trade. Well, I hear that Aaron Rodgers may be going to the Jets, maybe going to the Rams. You know, there have been sports trades that have just been really uh, great trades, but this is the greatest trade of all time. Our sin for his righteousness. It doesn't seem fair, does it? It's not fair, but it's a free gift of love because God loves you and he loves me. And he wants you to know it and remember it every day. You know, another thing the resurrection guarantees is our own bodily resurrection. We're going to be raised. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I'm looking forward to that. Man, physical but eternal and immortal. You know, it's like kind of like Captain America, Superman, you guys move over. We're going to become, you know, immortal. You know, the resurrection also provides for us to live for Jesus. So the resurrection is for this life too. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58 says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we can live God's plans and purposes because the victory that we have won in Jesus. Yeah, some seasons will be light and some dark. Some seasons will seem easier and others harder. None of them are in vain, but we have victory. And don't forget that. Preach that to yourself. Jesus has power and given power in the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And maybe today you need to be reminded of that. You need to believe. And maybe you need to believe again. You know, Jesus did all these seven signs so we would believe and continue to believe and trust and rely on him. So let's do that. And why don't you pray with me right now as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have life eternal through Jesus Christ, who defeated sin and defeated death and rose again after three days. And now is at your right hand, living to make intercession for us. Oh, Lord, we need your power, and we need to walk in the power of the resurrection. So, Lord, help us to grab hold of that, to have victory in our lives, Lord, and to be right where you want us to be as we walk with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, real quick, don't forget Easter coming up. We've got four services here at Harvest, 6, 8, 10, and 12. Grab some invitations, invite them out, invite people out to our Easter service, and look forward to seeing you at Harvest. God bless you. Bye-bye.